Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you all with the latest evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, soon to be author of The Science of Nutrition out December the 30th, 2021, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, we are going to be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, so that together we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with our trusted expert advice. Genes have a crucial role in how we look and feel, but is what we're born with fixed, or is there some room to change our DNA through our behavior and our environment? So to find out this week's Food for Thoughts, he's registered dietitian Rachel Clarkson and I delve into DNA, the importance of us all being unique and how we can harness that to be the best version of ourselves. Rachel guest lectures in genetics and nutrition at St. Mary's University, and she's also published research in this field. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Rhiannon. How are you? Oh, it's been a long time. I'm very well. How are you? I'm really well, just transitioning onto uh, sort of online working predominantly. Yeah, I know. I think we all are. It's been very strange. So I last saw you in Harley Street and I don't think, to be honest, I've been there more than four times in the past in the past year and a half. It's crazy. Um, but I think we're here today, of course, to discuss how unique we are, which is such a wonderful conversation to have. And I suppose how much power we have I guess to change our, let's start with body shape for the long term. Absolutely. I mean, I think that first of all, it's important to consider that there are so many different facts that contribute to body shape. So we've got our sort of biological factors, our genetic determinants, but also our environmental determinants. So it is a complex uh, relationship, but, you know, we definitely do have power to change our body shape, especially in the long term. I mean, if we think about personalized nutrition as a field, for example, what I do, I can actually look at someone who's trying to lose weight and help them identify what's the most 
effective dietary strategy out there. And, you know, there are some people that will benefit from increasing or decreasing certain foods or even modifying exercise. So the science of nutrigenomics, this is what really can help someone take away the guesswork around what they should be eating to control their body shape. Um, because there is evidence out there that some people, based on their genes, are going to respond better to different strategies or approaches. Mm. And I think, um, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation, isn't it, this one with, with our genes and um, especially in its body shape, body shape and size. But how strong is that link then between genes and the outcome compared to, you know, with, with what we eat? Because some people say it's only a very small component. There's always a nature-nurture debate, isn't there, anyway, in the world. And then when you look into personalising nutrition in this way, so do you think it would be a huge impact that it could have on people? I think that's a really great question. I think we have to definitely look at the two sides of the coin. So, you know, do genetics impact body shape and size? Absolutely. You know, there are certain studies out there, many studies out there that are trying to identify and have identified genes that predispose, you know, obesity or, or body shape. And I think it's important to note that this has been really successful when it comes to those rare forms of obesity and uh, in sort of like the ob gene for leptin deficiency in children, for example. But if we think about more of the common forms of obesity that we see in most people that I guess can still arise in children, um, because <laughs> I guess poor diets as well, uh, these aren't actually due to single genetic variations or genetic alterations. It's not due to a single gene. Um, so nutrigenomics, which is really what I do and, and I support people with, this can identify those specific genetic variations that alter someone's response to nutrients within the diet. So for example, it's really the study of identifying why people respond very differently to the same foods, the same uh, beverages, for example. So instead of thinking about genes that impact body shape and size, which there's not really much we can do about, <clears throat> why not use genetics to actually help people overcome the challenges to weight loss, okay? Mm. Help identify the best strategy. Now that's not to say that there are genes that can help you um, identify exactly what you know, um, certain dietary strategy you need to be following in every area of your diet. But we definitely have strong evidence to show that genes do influence our response to diet. I mean, there's a really great study um, by Harvard, actually, it's been replicated about five times, um, some randomized controlled trials that actually show some individuals are actually have an enhanced response to a high protein diet. Now, that's not mm. everyone but everyone seems to be following high protein. Actually, only one in five people will have this enhanced response to a high protein diet. And actually, mm. the science shows that these individuals with this variation of the FTO gene, they'd actually have a 220% greater increase in fat loss following mm. a high protein diet versus a sort of normal protein diet, whereas the other people who didn't have that variation actually have no significant difference to weight loss. So again, I think it's taking the science um, literally in yeah. some areas, but also using 
the the practice of, of nutrition like me and you both know from our mm. education um, and also taking into consideration other lifestyle factors preferences and also uh, food availability and things like that I mean that was so beautifully explained Rachel thank you and I think that again it reiterates what we say all the time on this podcast is that everybody is unique and this is where this is where the world is a bit crazy in my eyes with all these um you know specific fad diets and um one size fits all approaches because it's just not that simple and i mean i'm going to come back to the the dna testing and things later but let's just discuss first of all the approach to the fact that slim is perceived as beautiful and different cultures have different body shapes and ideals and sizes and in terms of your clinical practice, um, because I know in mine, definitely this this mentality is, is so ingrained, isn't it? And it's systemic in our society. Do you think this will ever change? Can we get to a point where we embrace all shapes and sizes and not a one size fits all? I really do hope that we'll get to that place. I think that you and me both have come across instances where no matter what shape or size someone is, when you actually look deeper in their sort of blood work, let's say, and look at those biomarkers, you will actually see people who have pretty perfect biomarkers who don't um, necessarily fit within that, like you said, traditional slim is beautiful. And mm -hmm. I think what we should be striving for is instead of body shape, um, which right now, especially within the media and the way that it's portrayed is, is so unattainable when you are actually comparing yourself to overly edited imagery. And actually we should be focusing on our day-to-day -day habits that can actually just help us strive to be the best version of ourselves, nourishing, nourishing ourselves with food that's right for us and thinking about all of the other practices that actually influence health like stress management, sleep, exercise. If you really give yourself the time to prioritize those pillars of health, mm. I think hopefully body shape and size comes second to that and, and more emphasis can be put on health. Yeah, exactly. Health and things that are sustainable because there's big mental implications, isn't there? Mental health, I should say, when it when it comes to how we perceive um, what we eat and our body sizes and shapes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about those traditional diets that really focus on restriction, people can often feel so disappointed and so disheartened when they can't achieve these really crazy goals um, or diet plans that they've been led to believe will you know, lead them to a, a certain body shape or size. So it absolutely can be harmful to mental health. But if you're focusing on long-term sustainable lifestyle changes, so thinking about what are the things that you can do on a daily basis that you can really commit to, these can have extremely positive effects on your mental health, obviously from the obvious um, being more nourished and therefore your, your body's in a, in a great state. But also think about those sort of daily wins that you can celebrate, which will have a great positive feedback loop into yes. the way that you feel about yourself. So instead of feeling like I'm not good enough right now, why don't you just tell yourself that, you know, I accept where I am right now and these are the changes that I can make to be my best self because if you don't reframe your thoughts around dieting and eating, you're always going to feel not good enough. Yeah, 
it's just um and I know some people will be listening sitting or on the go because I know a lot of people listen to this podcast on their morning walks or commutes but thinking well it's all right for you to say that you know but how on earth do I do I make a start how do I change a habit and you know get something like that to change in my mindset as well because it's making small adjustments I think that can make lasting changes wouldn't you agree Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we just can't emphasize, emphasize this enough, especially in our clinical practice, mm. the fact that it is the small habits that you need to commit to on a daily basis, the small changes in your meals, you know, focusing on maybe breakfast one week and then lunch another. So actually solidifying those changes as habits. And that leads to long-term behavior change rather than just saying, I'm just changing my diet completely on Monday. And then you know what happens? By Friday, people give up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It's always like that, isn't it? Oh, I'll do it after the weekend or, um, you know, it begins on Monday. Everything begins on Monday. Um, and I guess let's discuss set point a little bit. The fact that perhaps our bodies, as you said at the start of this discussion, are destined to be within a certain range. Uh, you know, some of us are not meant to be a certain size or shape, and that then that's okay. Yeah, I think set point theory. It's an interesting one. It it is uh, pretty black and white, and actually, it doesn't take into consideration the fact that. There are complex external factors, right? Our environmental factors, our diet and our lifestyle. And so set point theory is suggesting that there is that active feedback mechanism that controls body weight within a certain range. But I think if you are crash dieting and you are shocking the body, absolutely, it can most probably bring you back to that, uh, that body weight. But I think Again, there are ways to overcome that with those small changes on a day-to-day -day basis that lead to lasting lifestyle change. And I think if you're moving in the right direction, there is definitely um, opportunity to change your body weight. But again, there is no perfect body weight. It's it's wherever you want to sit. Yeah, exactly. It... <sighs> Yeah, it's such a delicate and emotive conversation. So let, let's bring it back to science a little bit here with the DNA testing, because from what I've heard so far, um, you know, on, on the nutrition circuit and attending different lectures and events, especially from Professor Giles Yo, is that we just don't have the um, capacity yet to accurately record everybody's DNA and then make dietary advice. But I wondered if you had any updates here or any advice on this sort of testing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think it's important to consider that there is a lot of misconception about genetic testing. So we're not actually using genetics to predict obesity, okay? Um, because you can use other identifiers like body weight or BMI. So for example, what Giles does, he's a genetic epidemiologist, he's a fantastic researcher, and this is what he he looks at. So um, looking at what we call GWAS studies to identify um, the prediction of obesity, for example. But instead of that, the challenge actually is around working out what is actually going to work best for the individual when it comes to what diet they should really be following. So I guess the bottom line is that the evidence is strong in nutrigenomics, which is a completely separate field than genetic epidemiology. And that's actually showing that genetics can absolutely help us here to take the guesswork out of what we should be eating when it comes to weight loss. So I just mentioned the example of the high protein diet. Um, there's really strong evidence there. There's also great evidence into for example, individuals who need to reduce saturated fat, who actually have genetic variations who, uh, which predispose them to hyperabsorbing saturated fat. So if they reduce it in their diets, they're going to have a, 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 a better weight loss result. And so I think anyone who's sort of disputing um, the genetic testing for nutrigenomics is maybe unaware of the evidence or for whatever reason doesn't really fancy the genetic testing, um, maybe for a reason that I guess that maybe their own perceptions are, you know, it is an elitist um, mm. offering to uh, to certain to certain people and I guess in, in that respect that they're not going to accept the science but if you can actually use the genetics to identify um, you know how to actually process or how your body processes or metabolizes certain nutrients in the foods that you consume you are going to maybe benefit from a certain diet rather than another and you know what we can absolutely use trial and error most people are but we can also, you know, follow diets that are based on genetics. And there is strong evidence here, but there isn't a gene for every aspect of our diet. I think I mentioned before, that's really important to consider. But this is the problem that has tainted yeah. the field, Re. So genetic testing, it's unregulated. You've mm. come across it. We've all come across mm. it. And many of the well-known tests out there that we see marketed <laughs> to us on social media and yep. influencers are talking about, they have exaggerated claims. They're not substantiated by the science. And this is what's tainted the area. So if you can think about credibility, who's behind the test, the science, the evidence, that's when you're going to come across a genetic test that will actually be testing 
scientifically validated genes and be giving you dietary recommendations, hopefully through a practitioner who is an expert in the field. And that's a whole yeah. other topic. Yeah. I mean, the British, uh, the British um, Medical Journal, I don't know whether you read last year, published an amazing paper around the fact that genetic testing is only useful to individuals. Yes, when I saw that in the BMJ, yes. Genetic information is translated by a health pr practitioner mm. who is mm. an expert in the field. That leads to long-term be behavior change and motivation. Mm. Yeah, I, oh, when you mentioned, and sometimes I have to say that, you know, I see these test kits, sometimes it's even people I know, or I think, oh, they've got sucked in by someone that's told them to spend £500 plus on a test kit. Um, and then it's a celebrity that's endorsing that they've seen XYZ to help them do this. And that has such a huge pull, doesn't it? I think people are so, so pulled into... Um, just wanting to have answers but sometimes we have to be honest and say well we don't have all the answers but there are some genes that are really well researched like you said like the um the mc4r gene um what about variations of this and how it could change appetite <clears throat> yeah absolutely i mean <clears throat> this is a really fun gene <laughs> it's a gene that's expressed in the in the brain and actually specifically looking at areas of the brain which controls hunger and appetite. So this gene can give you valuable insight into what variation you have, which will influence your eating behavior, which will influence your snacking and your appetite. Maybe it's more heightened. And that mm. way you can think about maybe healthier snacking options around you, you know, uh, making sure that you have them available to you in your bag or at work or in the cupboard because you do have a heightened appetite and therefore you're going to want to snack more often. And we know that excessive snacking of the wrong foods that aren't as nourishing as, as others, that mm. can lead to issues. Yeah. I, it's um, <laughs> and I guess a lot of this as well. So behaviors start in childhood, and that's something that we do in the nutrition clinic a lot. Is follow, follow through, and I'm sure everybody does actually. Any decent health professional should do a health history and a um assessment of what behaviors have been learned along the way. Um, but can these behaviors lead to the long term changes in our genes? So. If you have this MC4R gene and it's programmed in a certain way and you, you've been using it in that way since childhood, do you then have the power to reprogram that gene or is it expressing in one stationary view? Does that make sense as a question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you just brought up something which I think a lot of people are interested in, which is the power of turning on or off genes. Mm. And this is epigenetics. So this is actually something separate to nutrigenomics. So for example, when we're looking at this gene that controls appetite, this MC4R gene, this is a, a modifier gene. This modifies someone's response to diet or the way that they are going to be eating or uh, like we've mentioned, appetite. So we don't actually see that this actual specific, what we call SNP or variant within this gene is ever turned off. Um, it would be about identifying whether you have the, what we call risk variation of this gene, which would predispose you to enhanced appetite and snacking throughout the day. And then actually putting together those behavioral strategies around healthy snacks, etc. because we can't turn off that gene, if that makes sense. Mm. So 
epigenetics it's a whole another field i don't recommend anyone go and get an epigenetic test unless do you want unless you want to take a biopsy of every single sort of area of your body <laughs> so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't recommend that at all but there are other genes that also influence your um your taste preferences which i guess is another really interesting topic like the glut2 gene which enhances your sugar preference you know that could be interesting mm. for to understand mm. you know they're not going crazy they're not craving sugar for no reason it's within their genes and so learning about this information can help you make smarter choices and have more uh, healthy available food Oh, I love it. It's so interesting. And I do think this again just solidifies um, why seeing health professionals that are, you know, credible or regulated with the correct um, qualifications is so important because it's so easy to, like you said, do a test in something and get the wrong information about what it actually means. And it's interpreted in, in a completely different way than it should actually be. Um, and reframing opinions also, that can be a positive thing. You know, if you're I guess, concerned about um, the impact that one particular food group has on your body, perhaps just reframing that as to, well, I know this doesn't work for me in X, Y, Z way, perhaps I'll let it work for me in this and just change how much I consume. Do you find that that's something you do a lot in the clinic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, reframing is something that we as healthcare professionals are, are very good at and apps usually um do do struggle here with the human touch yes <laughs> but you're right instead of the sort of doom and gloom approach of you need to restrict x y and z it's an informed quite exciting conversation around this sort of food uh, or these types of foods aren't necessarily great for you if your goals are to lose weight so why not think about in, including these other foods and thinking about the addition of X, Y, and Z? And, and I think that's a really important conversation because, I mean, I've come across people who have come to me after doing one of these sort of more well-renowned um, genetic tests and they have completely interpreted the science wrong and the dietary recommendations. I mean, just take, we, we mentioned saturated fat before, somebody didn't have the variation of the gene that meant that they needed to, re or that they would have an enhanced response from reducing saturated fat. So they weren't hyper absorbers of saturated fat. Now we both know that genetics aside, saturated fat in large quantities can actually have negative health implications on cholesterol and other things. But that individual came to me and their diet was really high in saturated fat containing mm. foods because they hadn't reframed the information into a positive, which is I don't actually hyperabsorb saturated fat for weight loss. However, I should be thinking about reducing saturated fat containing foods in my diet and including all of the healthier fats to support my health and well-being. So it's a really careful conversation. Mm. Yeah, it's it's got to be delicately put. And again, this, there's just so many more elements to consider than one black or white um, food group or answer or test result like you said saturated fat well actually you know it depends on the individual's predisposition to 
with their cardiovascular health you know heart disease is it in their family and then what how much are they having is it going to be detrimental to their health long term versus you know their enjoyment versus what how they're going to stick to this long-term lifestyle change it's just i feel like there's um a whole world of nutritional science that is isn't in a textbook sometimes and can take a lot of work from a professional to translate it's like translating science isn't it and then applying it and perhaps creating rituals um for each individual that that can positively reinforce things because if you don't have a kind of structure or plan day to day dietary changes can just go out the window can't they yeah absolutely i love that you mentioned rituals i mean practicing daily rituals can be such a lovely commitment to yourself as kind of big or small as they may be i think it can also be a mindful moment for yourself as well and also help you undertake healthy behaviors on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis that maybe aren't you know a crazy long morning routine that sometimes isn't always achievable but if you can think about what's important to you with any area or pillar of your health you know movement diet uh, stress management sleep if you can think about daily rituals around those pillars that's where you're going to be able to celebrate those daily wins. <laughs> yeah, daily wins are the best. And it's appreciating the small daily wins. I, it's so hard sometimes when you're having one of those days, you just feel like you haven't achieved anything. But even if it's that you drunk a lot of water on one day, that is a daily win. Let's celebrate that. Let's big up the, um, the small healthy habits we have. Because if you don't set those goals... Um, you know, how how are we going to ever find a balance and appreciate um, appreciate things that go right and also accept, I think, acceptance of days that don't go right, don't you think? <laughs> Compassion is everything. And I really like to think about the idea of, I mean, you've probably heard it many times before, but progress, not perfection. And actually understanding that there are going to be days where we can't achieve, you know, what we set out to. And I really, I I heard on a a really great podcast, the idea of giving yourself uh, like a hall pass or two, or like a get out Mm. of jail free card um, once or twice a week, where if you have an emergency or you just can't do something that you said that you'd achieve, you know, you can give yourself a hall pass and you can move on. Like you're not a disappointment, you're not a failure, you just didn't do it today and that's okay. And I think that mindset will help you and has helped many of my clients uh, achieve a feeling of accomplishment and they're more likely to move forward long term with healthy habits rather than throwing in the towel and just falling off the bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know... Some people um, perhaps will respond in a in a manner of trying to control things, um, you know, with with exercise or restriction with food, and with without compassion. There, this is when I think we spiral into a realm of disordered eating as well, or disordered health um, health habits, really that that are just not not useful. So, what would be your best tip to keep motivation in terms of staying compassionate? How would you inspire people to do that? Well, I really do like goals. I I like goal setting, but 
I actually prefer the smaller goals that you need to write down to achieve your larger goal, let's say. So instead of sort of writing down or thinking about where you want to be in six or sort of 12 months time and always feeling like you are so far away from that, why not think about the little steps that you have to take in between now and then to get to where you want to be? And then if you can celebrate those wins as you sort of achieve those smaller steps, that's when you're going to be more motivated to carry on. And like I said, I mean, in my clinic, people come to me specifically for personalized dietary advice based on their DNA. And, you know, there is evidence out there to show, as I mentioned, that people are more motivated to make changes if something is personalized to their DNA versus standard dietary advice. And so I guess that's my answer. Um, But I'm sure you also have some really great tips. No, I think that's really, really lovely. And like you said, goal setting has a place. But I do think tapping into the the reason why and the psychological aspect that people have related to food is so important to stay motivated or even learn learn the key of acceptance and being able to sit with feelings and thoughts. There's there's a lot of um, work to be done um, internally when addressing your diet. Um, I think people go to nutrition consultations and think, oh, they're just going to tell me what to eat, and, and you know, I'm just going to try and stick to it, and. I actually couldn't be further from the tr- the truth because you, you've got self-exploration that's about to happen and any form of self-exploration or change is hard. You know, change for human beings is, is tricky. It's not easy, is it? And there's a reason for that because once you're able to get past or even identify those th- feelings and thoughts, you have, you've made a huge achievement there. You've managed to tap into a part of yourself and learn more about yourself. But um, I could yeah. talk about that for a very long time, Rachel. <laughs> I mean, I'm so glad that you brought that up, the whole mindset work. You're so Mm. right. People come to see you. They think you're just going to be talking about, you know, what foods you need to eat. But actually, like I have this 50-50 formula and I'm very open with people before they start to work with me. I actually say before, you know, you start working with me, I want to let you know that I have a 50-50 formula. 50% of the time we're going to be talking about food that's right for you, but the other 50% is going to be brain training and mindset work and yeah. the behavior change. And like my, I've, I'm actually just about to launch an online uh, weight loss program and that is 50% mindset. mindset. Yeah. <laughs> you can't forget that. No, no, it's it's one of the biggest components. And that sounds very exciting, by the way. We've got lots of questions from our listeners, and I'm sure that this program actually might be perfect for them. So <laughs> this is great. Sasha has said, um, oh, now I'm glad Sasha's brought this up. Huge debate, I'm sure, in your world. How do your genetics impact your intake of macros and micros? Great question. I mean, when we think about your influence or the way that genetics influences your intake this is a this is a hot topic because genetics don't just impact our response to food they also implement like uh, they also determine your intake because they definitely alter your sensory perception to food so they alter your smell and your taste and your appetite as we have touched on so that MC4R 
um, that alters your appetite or snacking, uh, the GLUT2 gene, which influences your sugar preference. We've also got um, the CD36 gene. This influences your fat mm. taste. Now, if you think about certain variations of those genes, they will influence what you are going to eat. So it absolutely influences your macronutrient intake, whether it be high sugar or high fat. Um, now, if you think about if you're grabbing those high fat, high sugar foods based on your genetic variations, your micronutrient intake uh, may be on the lower side because we know that those convenience foods that are oh so tasty actually mm. have a very low in low amount of sort of micronutrients, which are the vitamins and minerals. There isn't much evidence out there that I know of, particularly that influences your ability to take in. Uh, micronutrients when it comes to your food choices but there is a whole realm of evidence around how your body actually responds to micronutrients in the food that you consume which will influence your body's um, sort of um, the amount that your body takes in so for example genetics the study of nutrigenomics can alter your body's response to the micronutrients, meaning how much of the micronutrient you're going to absorb, metabolize, transport, and use, and also excrete. So, of course, uh, that's going to be, you know, it's going to affect your intake, but not intake as in the food that you're consuming, if that makes sense. I don't know whether no, I explain that yeah, well. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, you do. Of course you do. There's so much more... Um, I'm going to say beneficial nutrients in some foods compared to others. All foods have nutrition. There's no good or bad food, but some, of course, are going to be more beneficial and give you more and perhaps, yeah, have a knock-on effect. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the next question I've got is from um, Danny. And I'm not sure if Danny's a boy or a girl, so I'm just keeping that as a neutral name right now. Um, all my family are slim, but I am especially, I can't seem to gain weight and I feel so self-conscious. What can I do to fit in better? I think that first of all, if you're feeling self-conscious, I think, you know, you and me both, Re, we would definitely help that individual really mm. thinking about mindset and self-acceptance and self-love and compassion and sort of daily rituals, uh, whether they be um, around self-care can definitely enhance your feeling of self-worth because you know self-worth should not be um, you know um, part of your or determined by your body weight but I can imagine that there's a lot of comparison there um, between you and your family and I think that if you wanted to make changes then you know there are professionals out there I know that your clinic uh, re you know helps people um, with mm. weight as well and and in that way you can speak to a professional about foods that can hopefully help you so incorporating protein and energy rich snacks and you know, if you're very worried about your um, your your weight as well, you can always speak to your doctor to check your blood work. Yeah, no, really, really nice answers there. It's, it's about getting support, isn't it, I think, and not, not feeling, I'm going to say feeling things alone because a lot of the time our feelings can be so overwhelming. Um, and then I've got time probably for one more question on here. I think we'll go with Willow's question. So Willow has said, can anyone do gene gene editing 
or is it only for medical conditions? I don't know anything about this, Rachel. This is definitely <laughs> your camp. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I think that by gene editing, she's talking about um, something called uh, CRISPR. Okay. So this is basically, uh, I mean, it was made pretty public by a few documentaries. And it's basically gene editing to um, lead to desirable outcomes, let's say. And actually, to my knowledge, it's only really being used in research, sort of laboratories. Um, okay. it's not yeah. Definitely not routinely done in any sort of clinical or hospital setting. And there's huge ethical implications here to whether this is right. Again, it's not my area. And um, it's an interesting one, but not something that we would do. No. Okay, really, really well answered there. Thank you. Um, so we're now going to move on to our fact or fiction round. Are you ready? As ready as I can be. <laughs> okay, here we go. Genes are fixed for life. False. You can eat to change your body shape and size. Fact. Dietitians will tell you what to eat, not how to eat. False. Um, your DNA can be expressed differently, but ultimately you are born with what you have. True, when it comes to nutrigenomic testing. Love that. If you're going to see a health professional, they will charge a lot of money for health kits. False. As we discussed earlier, very, very false with that one with the testing. To look for the right person to help you with your diet, you need to check the qualifications. True. Very true on that one. Every morning, you should drink lemon water in order to help your DNA. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, in order to change your body shape and size, you should set a target and a goal and aspire to it. This can be true and false. I think it's more around your daily habits, but goals are always nice. Yeah, completely agree with that one. And then finally, do we hold the tools to fully understand how we can eat for our genes? I believe yes. Oh, there we go. That was a brilliant fact or fiction round. Thank you so much, Rachel. So that does nearly wrap up the episode. I'm so sad about it. I feel like we've got so much more to delve into um, with the science, but um, we always finish with a take-home message, a food for thought on the podcast. And I think mine would really be, as much as I know it's easier said than done, but remove the focus from your body shape or the number, a number on the scales in particular, and try and change that mindset. We've spoken about that before. Um, I'm going to let Rachel do the food for thought about the, you know, the genetic aspect, but I really think a take home message from today's episode has been that we are so unique and mindset plays such a huge role when it comes to, um, you know, our self-worth and significance on, on our life. And I think anyone that's dieted will, appreciate that the perceived perfect weight rarely actually brings happiness but um Rachel if you have a take-home message for our listeners today what would that be I would say that if you're feeling disappointed or like a failure because you've not actually responded to fad diets in a long-term way that you're happy with 
please do not see yourself as that failure. You're not a failure. Mm. You just haven't found the right way for you yet. Um, and it is out there. Just focus on what you can do day to day to be the best version of yourself. And like, you know, you said, Rianne, and like just compassion is everything. Yeah. And exactly. also, also, please um, really think about the credibility of genetic tests and go to an uh, expert practitioner in nutrigenomics who can help you translate the information. And, you know, I didn't mention to you, Reed, but I've also got an academy for healthcare practitioners to Amazing. also upskill in the science. So it is coming, guys. Um, it is available to you. Um, you don't have to just rely on these sort of direct-to-consumer tests. You can go to the experts. Oh, I love that. Rachel, thank you. And you've mentioned a few things that you're up to, but where can our listeners go to, to find out more about you and the exciting work that you do? Thank you so much for having me on and everyone for listening. I appreciate I appreciate you being interested in the topic of genes and nutrition. You guys can follow me on Instagram, the DNA Dietitian with a T, not a C. You can see my website, the DNA Dietitian, or you can also watch out for my free masterclasses into how you can get away from fad diets and actually lose weight long term. Oh, Rachel, incredible. Thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the final episode of Series 12 of Food for Thought. I can't believe we've got this far and I'm over the moon that everybody is enjoying Food for Thought so much. I really hope that you've learned how our bodies are as unique as our personalities, to give you the confidence to go out there and decipher fact from fiction, and of course, make your own informed choices based on our evidence-based advice. I would like to say a humongous thank you to all of you for listening. It's just mind-blowing that so many of you tune in to Food for Thought and very humbling. Also, my wonderful guests who, let's face it, are impeccable. And if you have the time to leave us all a review, we would all appreciate that so much. And hopefully we can reach and help far more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please visit nutrition.com and follow me at nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And don't forget The Science of Nutrition, my latest book, which is practically an encyclopedia of nutrition, is out December the 30th, 2021. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.